0: And uh, thank you to Alex for bringing us to this point in our service. And it is wonderful to um, just recount the faithfulness of God in our lives and in His providence. um, I'm sort of um, the last person to preach here, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, (laughs) maybe literally, yeah. Um, but, um, just want to thank the Lord for his faithfulness. And, uh, like Alex mentioned, if those of you who are wondering where we're going to be meeting, uh, it, it's, uh, just behind the Ingle Farm shopping center, there's a, there's a hall that Josh, I think, found out and, uh, it's available. Well, we should be able to meet there for, uh, next Sunday. So that is confirmed. The Sunday after that is in step, So we'll be meeting at, uh, um, you know, the Torrance Valley Christian School, And um, after that, hopefully we will continue meeting in this place next to Ingle Farm. So hopefully that will be a long-term temporary solution for us, um, if that makes sense. But as as each one of us uh, has testified to the faithfulness of God uh, in bringing us to this place and helping us to have this place, and um, I just want to add my contribution to testifying to God that, you know, very often we... We, we, we tend to say, God must have something better for us, which is why He's taking us to that place. And sure, there is some truth in that, but I, I think, you know, it's, it's better to see it, that God has something better planned for His glory, which is why He's taking us to another place. And the reason why I mentioned that, that perspective is, um, you know, it's been on my heart for uh, this past week. Uh, we had our elders meeting on Monday and, um, and Chad prayed, um, as we had our time of prayer, he prayed for me that uh, my time of preparation would not just be for study and not just be to preach, but so that I would know God. And that my preaching and the sermon today would help you know God. And that's, that's the perspective and the mindset that all of us have as we study the Word of God Because the word of God is the word about God. Bible study is God's study. We're not just reading the Bible to get a checklist of boxes to tick so that we can live with his approval. Our primary reason really ought to be that we read the Bible to know who he is. Who is the one who has made us? Who is this God. Who is this person that we are singing to? Who is this person that we say ascribe greatness to this person? Why? Because I I believe that if if we have the idea that, you know, we're just looking for things to do, we're no better than the Pharisees. They looked at the scriptures, they tithed, and they, they knew everything down to the last jot and tittle. But Jesus says, you you search the scriptures in order to have eternal life, but these are the scriptures that speak of me and you reject me. And so as as we come to this, um, to our text today, and thank you, Brett, for reading that for us, can I urge you to listen closely to what God has to say, not primarily how you ought to live, and I know we're doing, uh, you know, a pursuit of um, um, what Christians pursue, but not to look at it Primarily as something for us to do, but for us to know the God who motivates us to live in a certain way. And so the, 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 what Christians pursue is really the pursuit of God. Every single pursuit that we have studied so far is the pursuit of God. And we want to be studying the pursuit of God today in our study, which is the pursuit of kindness. Kindness. And so I want us to see, really, who is this God who is kind, and therefore, why? what, what does that motivate us to do? So it's not so much about how should, we, how should we be kind, but why. Why should we be kind? And in our text today, I think there's, there's six reasons of why we should be kind. And so our study... We'll focus mainly on verses four to eight, and we'd look at it in six parts. That's the outline. Number number one, we look at the backdrop of kindness. And we look at this in verses one to three, where we'll spend a lot of time because we want to see the context in which kindness is shown by God to us. And after that, we look at the beginning of kindness. How does kindness start? Where does it all begin? That's in verse four. Number five, the bill for kindness. And the reason why I use a transactionary term is because kindness involves a cost. The kindness of God involves a sacrifice. A payment has been made. And after that, we want to look at the basis for kindness. What are the grounds? What are the conditions on which kindness is shown to us? And therefore, what are the grounds on which we ought to show kindness to others? And after that, the bounty of kindness. What is the measure of kindness that we have received? And therefore, what is the measure of kindness that we ought to show? And lastly, we want to see the bedrock of kindness. What is the foundation of kindness? What is this built on? Why are we so sure when we talk about kindness? What gives us confidence? As Paul says, these things you can teach with confidence. What is the reason For that. And so the backdrop, the beginning, the bill, the basis, the bounty, and the bedrock of kindness. And we'll start um, at number one from verses one to three. If you have your text open there, um, this is the scene into which we see kindness being introduced. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Who's them? Well, if you turn back uh, just a page to uh, chapter 2, you'll see uh, that um, who, who Paul is referring to. Chapter 2, verse 2 tells us there's older men. Uh, verses 3 to 5 says there's older women and younger women. Verses 6 to 8 says there's younger men. And verses 9 to 10 talks about bond servants. So chapter 2 contains instructions uh, for on how Titus is to instruct his congregation, which consists of genders, men and women, age groups, young and old, and economic status, which includes bond servants. And so these are instructions on how they ought to live in righteousness. And in case there was any doubt as to what this looks like, look at verse, verses 11 to 15 of chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men... And this is the instruction that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Instructions on lifestyle. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Instructions on future hope. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds, instructions on doctrine titus teach the old men and the young men and the old women and the young women and the bond servants in your congregation about how they are to live what they are to hope for what they are to believe and then we come to verse our text today um these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority let no one disregard you And after that, as if to further unpack these instructions, we come to the text we have today. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Now you could get caught up, oh, here's my check boxes. Tick, 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 I'm done. And we could get really caught up in the application without understanding the motivation. Why are you to be submissive to authorities and rulers why all this instruction what is the purpose what does it achieve what's what's the main what's the big deal and so let's look at this a little, a little closely to to be subject means to come under as simple as that it's a military term it says you you fall in line you come under uh, to be obedient means to be properly persuaded of that which has the right priority It's not just doing something for the sake of doing it and obeying it, but agreeing that it should be done and agreeing that this is the right thing to do in terms of my priority. Be obedient. It's to have your priorities aligned to God's plans and preferences. To be ready for every good deed means to be on standby. To be poised in readiness to do what? Anything that qualifies as divinely enabled virtue. Be ready be ready to do that which is righteous. To malign nobody, that's pretty simple, don't defame someone's reputation. To be peaceable, don't be quarrelsome. To be gentle, William Barclay describes it as a sweet reasonableness. It's the quality of a person who knows the law and wants to uphold the law, but they don't get legalistic about it. Think of Jesus' With all the crowds who were waiting to stone the woman caught in adultery. Everyone over there is very excited and keen to uphold the law. Which of you has not sinned? Let him cast the first stone. And so there's a gentleness in Jesus over there. He's not not, um, condoning what the woman does because he tells her, go and sin no more. So he upholds the law but he does it in a gentle manner. He's firm, but he's not legalistic. Showing every consideration for all men in one word, it's about meekness. It's about a, the exercise of power with reserve and gentleness. And so, those are the, if you're looking for boxes to take, those are boxes to take. But why? Why should they behave in this way, Paul? Because culture says so? Because that's how my family taught me? Because this aligns with Christian values? Because this is, uh, sort of aligns with my political spectrum? No. Why should we be kind? What is the motivation? For we also once were foolish ourselves. For we also once were foolish ourselves. Not only that, we were disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. And that's the motivation for living with kindness for engaging in kindness, for practicing kindness. Why should you be kind? Because the kindness of God appears against the backdrop of our own depravity. And let's unpack this a little more as well, if we're looking for boxes to tick. Foolish. Now, this is not just someone who's a little, not the sharpest tool in the shed. That's not the idea. The idea of the foolish one is kind of like the Psalms where the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And this is someone who is so intent in, in disputing God, in rejecting God, that they create a reality of their own, and they're sort of living in a bubble that's just uh, an illusion. This is someone who uh, rejects the reality of God and, and tries to create their own idea, construct of reality. They're foolish. Disobedient. Disobedient. Not just they don't do what they're supposed to do, they are unwilling to be persuaded about the truth of God. It's a heart issue. Deceived, meaning that which is wandering off, that which is deviated from the correct path. Uh, This is the, the word, the original word is from where we get the word planet. Because in in those days, they thought that planets were wandering bodies. And so the idea of here is someone who is wandering, a wanderer. We, We sang this morning, Jesus sought me as a stranger wandering from the fold of God. And so that song serves to illustrate the truth of our condition when God shown kindness to us. Enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, meaning willfully giving ourselves over to sin. It's, it's, it's handing over the keys to your life to be taken over by every sort of sensuality and lust. Not just to one or two pleasures, but you could say we are willful prisoners to a kaleidoscope of carnality. spending our life in malice and envy malice is going through every day with an evil disposition that is just um, happy to see others experience misfortune hateful actively hating that are things things that are good the 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 characteristic of the person over here is 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 they find god abominable they find the idea of god stupid Hating one another. And this is interesting because the meaning actually has a comparative sense. It's not just hate for hate's sake, but it's actually preferring your choosing your own self over one another or someone else. It's elevating your own self over someone else. So it's actually talking about selfishness. And so don't miss the hallmark of who we once were. We, we sang Amazing Grace today. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, my my mom was telling me this uh, a couple of days ago, and I, and I looked it up, and it, apparently it's true, that Amazing Grace is sung 10 million times every year. 10 million times, this 11,000 records of different people singing Amazing Grace. Now I don't know if that's true, but I'm willing to give it a, to believe that. It's it's a song that is well beloved. Aretha Franklin sang it. Joan Baez sang it at Woodstock with all the drugs and you know everything else, and you have someone singing amazing grace, praise God. That's a, that's a great legacy of, of a slave owner whose song is now sung 10 million times a year. But the question that I have is that saved a so-so person like me? That saved a decent person like me? That saved someone who's doing okay? Do we see ourselves as a wretch? And the question I ask is, is not because, oh, you know, maybe that's what Newton saw himself as. Uh, maybe that's poetic license. Maybe that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a wretch, but I'm not a slave-driving wretch like Newton, man. That guy was like... Let me put it to you that Newton calls himself a wretch because he sees himself as God sees him. He's not trying to overcompensate for his state. He sees himself with God's eyes. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Why am I a wretch? Because hateful, wicked, disobedient, deceived, malicious, envious... This is what it means to know God. This is what it means to know us through the eyes of God. I mean, if, if you are looking for comfort in God, yes, there is comfort, but there, uh, He is a consuming fire. Let's, let's understand who God is and what, what motivates, what influences someone to think of themselves so lowly it's because they have been confronted by the most beautiful glorious majesty of their creator and when they stand in front of him when they evaluate their own selves through the lens of his eyes which is his word that's who I am unfortunately a wretch Someone who willfully rejects what is true and embraces that which is an illusion. Someone who rejects truth so that they can embrace what is a lie. Someone who wanders off the path of righteousness so that they can give themselves over to their passions and pleasures. Someone who finds God's moral standards abominable as if they know better. We see this summed up in Romans 3. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Why am I spending so much time on this? Because I want us to appreciate the reality of our condition before salvation. What did God do for us? Why did He do that for us? What was our condition when he did what he did for us? I love the definition of truth that Chad has been teaching us, which is truth is reality as God sees it. And so we can we can we can sing songs of amazing grace and we can say yes the Lord has saved me, but you know I'm not really sure about what he says about who I was. I was a decent person. I'm not like John Newton who was swearing like a sailor. And even sailors were shy of him because he was so profane. I wasn't taking people slave. Do we see ourselves as God sees us? Are we willing to see ourselves as God sees us? So Paul is instructing Titus to instruct his congregation to be humble and submissive to authorities and to be ready to, good, to do good to others because God sees them as unworthy and undeserving and yet he is kind to them. You know, our, our culture is the perfect breeding ground to show kindness. We, 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 we can get disturbed and concerned and anxious That we live in a hostile culture. A culture that is hostile to Christianity and Jesus and, and the Bible and all of these things. But that is who we were. That is who we were. Praise God that now He has given us eyes to see a a culture that is hostile to Him, a culture that is hostile to truth. But that is who we were. And that is when He showed kindness to us. So when we see the politicians and the activists and everyone get in our face, what a great opportunity to show kindness. And I say that not as as someone who has practiced it, but someone who has been deeply, deeply um, not practicing that. a lost opportunity to show kindness to people who were just like I was. Paul's message is clear. When we were undeserving, God moved with kindness towards us. When others are undeserving, we move with kindness towards them. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. The problem with us is that we don't acknowledge the full extent of our sin because we compare ourselves to other people. I mean, you'll go out on the street, no one's going to say they're perfect. Take a poll, you know, where do you think your moral values are? Yeah, I'm not perfect, no one's perfect. But just how imperfect are you? Oh, I'm okay. I'm fine. I mean, yeah, everyone's got problems, right? I mean, look at, the, look at the politicians. Look at the bankers. Look at the pedophile priests. They get away. I'm not doing anything of that. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not harming anyone. I'm not perfect, but I'm okay. I'm not as bad as them. That's the Pharisee. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this guy. But the publican... The tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes, and he was beating on his chest. And he's saying, "God be merciful to me, a sinner." Why? Why? What's that beating his chest? What does that mean? Is that like blowing your own trumpet, banging your own drum? That's that's something that it's come to. That's how we use the term today to to indicate bravado, and to indicate false sense of achievement. But in the Middle East back then and even today and in many other parts of the world, you beat your chest when you're mourning, when you've got deep regret. It's a sign of, of sadness. And, and the, the tax collector has that mindset because he's not comparing himself to anyone. He knows who God is. He has been confronted by the reality of the holiness of God and so he, he has no recourse you see me through and through. You see who I am. You see my fallen condition. You just see how unable I am to reach those standards. What standards? Your standards. I am created not in the image of the, of the Pharisee. The tax collector knows he is created in the image of God. And he knows who God is. And so he knows how far he has fallen. And so that he knows that all he needs now is mercy. There is nothing he can do to merit God's salvation. When we read the word of God. Are we just looking for a few boxes to tick? Or are we reading to know God? What does is, what is, um, Ezekiel say? I'm ruined. I'm ruined. Why? Because my eyes have seen I'm coming apart at the seams, I'm torn, I'm destroyed and that's why, that's why when we come and, 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 and worship and that's why when we come and preach and that's why in our Bible studies and that's why we live with, with an attitude of reverence every moment of our lives we want to live in worship because we know who God is. And we don't do it out of fear. We do it out of love and gratitude and just a sense of wanting to honor Him because He has reached out to us in a pall of gloom and shown great kindness towards us. He saved us. And so we come to our second point. The beginning of kindness. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient Deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Spending our life in malice and envy. Hateful, hating one another. But, someone says, praise God for the buts in the Bible. But, contrast. Contrast to all that darkness and gloom and despair. Contrast to all that was negative. Contrast to all that was just vile and wicked. But, when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared. He saved us. Hallelujah. The backdrop against which kindness is shown is vital for us to understand how kindness begins. Kindness does not begin with the penitence of men. Kindness actually begins with the impenitence of men. Kindness does not Begin with the repentance of people, kindness begins with the rebellion of people. Romans 5 tells us, Do you not know that kindness leads us to repentance? The kindness of God leads us to repentance. We are so moved. When we understand our fallen condition, our depraved condition, and we see that He saved us, we are moved to repent. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, love for mankind, philanthropia, to be a friend of humanity, to treat them with the kind of benevolence and respect that recognizes that they are image bearers of a creator who has a deep and profound love for them. It does not matter if they are gay activists, it does not matter if they vote a different way to us, it does not matter if they persecute us for our beliefs and take away our freedom of speech. That is the beginning of kindness. Do we see people like that? Do we see people as God sees them? His image bearers. What great dignity? What what is man? That you are mindful of him. You've made him in your image. How exalted a position we have in the created order? And yet, how fallen we are from that position that we were designed to occupy. What what does it mean to be kind? Is it just some loose and nebulous, fuzzy, warm-hearted feeling? My my Discovery Bible app, and I keep giving it a plug because I think everyone should use it, it. It defines kindness as meeting real needs in God's way, in His timing and fashion. Meeting real needs, in God's way, in His timing and in His fashion. So kindness really is not about how we feel, it's about adhering to a standard that God adheres to. With the believer, divine kindness is the spirit-produced goodness which meets the need and avoids human harshness or cruelty. Kindness does not begin with feeling. Kindness does not begin with compassion, though it can involve that, for sure. But kindness begins with knowing, knowing what? Knowing who people are, who are they, image bearers of God. Kindness is not dependent on whether these image bearers are deserving It depends just on their identity as image bearers. We are are called to be kind because other people are just like we are, image bearers of a divine holy God. Our kindness does not depend on what people do for us. Our kindness depends on what God has done for us. That just takes away the, the the focus from ourselves and what people do to us, and they hurt us, and yeah, we, they do. But do we think that we hurt God any less? Is the measure of hurt that people inflict upon us any comparison to the measure of grief that we have caused our Maker? if the answer is anything but no, I would suggest you read your Bible again. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. I just want you to see the, the contrast. We were deceived, disobedient, rebellious, Envious, hating, hateful. But when his kindness appeared, he saved us. And as I mentioned before, the reason for calling this the bill for kindness is partly because I wanted to keep it all bees, but also because it, it indicates a reality that a payment was made. A cost was involved, a sacrifice was made. And, and if, if we read the, the Bible just to feel good about ourselves, oh, he saved me. Yes, from what? From what? From hell? Sure, he saved you from his own condemnation. He saved you from his own wrath and judgment. We can look at these three words and he saved us and we think that it's about us. But if we look at it as it's completely about us, we forget the sacrifice that God made. The great price that he paid. God is not a kind God because he says kind things. God is a kind God because he does kind things. And he does kind things In the face of great hostility, great resentment, opposition, animosity, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 6. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were in that position of nastiness, while we were in that state of sheer, undeserving, unmerited, unworthiness, Christ died for us. The bill that God pays is the debt that we have incurred for our offenses against Him and He pays that debt with the blood and life of His own Son. despite the hostility of our hearts and our inability to cover the cost of our own sin, he saves us how? By punishing his own son in our place. He extracts pure justice and judgment from his innocent son by punishing him and leaving us unscathed. Most of us also forget actually that we think that the sacrifice of Christ was only on the cross. And it was. But what about his birth? The one for whom all things are made. And the one from whom all things are made. And the one through whom all things are made. Now takes on the form and nature of a servant. A creature of the dust. Is that a sacrifice or what? The one who is... Again, I come back to this point. Do we we know the beauty of Christ? Do we know the beauty of God? Because if we did, then we'd see how much He has condescended to become like us in order to save us. I mean, it, 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 it staggers the mind to think that the one who spoke all things into creation now becomes part of the creation the one who just says let there be light and there is light now becomes a servant he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking on the form of a bond servant being made in the likeness of men what a great cost massive cost huge cost But when the kindness of God appeared he saved us with a huge 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 sacrifice why did he do that you know we've, we've done nothing to deserve it we, 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 it clearly says we, we did he, 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 he died while we were yet sinners he died when we were in, engaged in that active state of nastiness why did he do that and so we see the basis for kindness in verse 5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. Read that again slowly. He saved us not on the basis of deeds. It's not, that's not the answer. Why did He save us? It's not because of anything we have done in righteousness. But he saved us according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. The basis of God's kindness is not our actions, but according to his mercy. Um, what is mercy? In, in biblical terms, the word is a bit hard to understand because what it really means is, is God's covenant loyalty. God's commitment to his promise. That is what mercy means. Why does God show mercy? It's not primarily because of his feelings towards us, but because of the commitment he has made, the promise he has made for his people. What is this covenant? Let me read to you from Jeremiah 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Why is it a new covenant? Well, it's not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying know the Lord for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Before his death what does Jesus say in the upper room? This is the new covenant In my blood, which is poured out for you. That's Jesus saying that new covenant, God is faithful to his promise. God is committed and loyal to the covenant that he has made so many thousands of years ago. That's why I am here. And now my blood is being poured out to ratify that covenant. Not the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and sheep, but the blood of the sinless son of God. Ephesians 2, 11 to 13 reminds us, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, that's us, in case you were wondering where that new covenant was for Israel only, therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near. You who were formerly far off have been brought near. When the kindness of God appeared, He saved us. That is how He has brought us near. That is why he has brought us near. Not for anything that we have done. Not for anything that we deserve. But because he is faithful to his promise. Who is God? God is a promise keeping God. God is a faithful God. We sang that today. Our whole devotion was around the faithfulness of God. Great is thy faithfulness Lord unto me. Yes, amen. But he does it because he is faithful first of all to what he has promised he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness but according to his mercy how by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the holy spirit regeneration renewing the new heart the new birth You mean have to be born again? You have to go into my mother's womb again? No, no. Do you not know? Have you not read? You have to be born again. This is how he does it. By the Holy Spirit. He gives us a new heart. What does that new heart do? It helps us to follow the covenant. He says, I will write my law in their heart. A man will need not teach his brother or his neighbor because the law is now in his heart. They will all know. We have a priesthood of believers because each one of us has the law of God written in our own heart. God is faithful. We have been born again. Not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. What is that seed? Through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever and this is the word which was preached to you. First Peter 1, 23 and 25 Do you know God? Do you know this enduring God? Do you know this God whose, whose word will never, never, never fail? The, the, the grass withers and the flower fades... But the word of the Lord stands forever. Do we know this God? Do we understand this God? Do we recognize what he has done for us in saving us? The basis for God's kindness is his commitment to his word. God keeps his word and so if there's anyone over here who hasn't experienced, if you want to experience this, this God, the, the kindness of this God, believe His Word. The imperishable Word. The living Word. The enduring Word. The Word that, is, that, was, that was stood before you were born and is going to continue long after. If we want to practice the pursuit of kindness then we need to do what God does Show kindness to those who least deserve it. Why? Because we are committed to his word. He is committed to his word. We need to be committed to his word. We come to point number five, the bounty of kindness. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done, but by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us, richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Poured out, meaning to give oneself up, to not withhold, to use a colloquial, he splashed out. God splashed out on us. Flooded, inundated, drowned us in. What has God poured out and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out? God has splashed out on us by giving us himself. God is so kind that he just doesn't give us things. He gives us himself. The one who is the most precious, valuable, awesome, magnificent creator now gives us himself. And he splashes out. He does not withhold himself from us. He gives us himself and floods himself on us. That is the bounty of kindness that God shows those who are undeserving his enemies. He splashes out himself on them. The truly penitent sinner does not seek pardon so that he can get things. He seeks pardon so he can get God. Oh, take the whole world, but give me Jesus. We sing that. Do we mean that? I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Sure. But are we willing to just have God and God Himself and nothing else? Have you asked God for God? When you pray, are you praying that He gives you more of Himself? You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. James 4 But ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. For what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? I challenge you. Ask God for himself and he will answer have you asked God taste and see that the Lord is good blessed is the man who trusts in him the problem is we don't think that God is enough we recognize he's important I need God but I need more but if you, that's because we don't know God. Because if we did, we'd know that He's enough. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We sing that. Sunday school, we sang that growing up. The wealth in every mind. He owns the rivers and the rocks and rills, the sun and stars that shine. Wonderful riches more than tongue can tell. He is my Father, so they're mine as well. But do we believe that? Do we know God? Are we satisfied with God? This is the bounty of God's kindness. It's the kind of it's, it's the standard of kindness that we are called to pursue, and it's shocking, really. It's shocking. And why, has he, why has he done this? And we come to our last point: the bedrock of kindness. This is the trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Trustworthy meaning faithful, that which is worthy of being trusted. It refers to the unworried persuasion of God by faith. I trust that what God, what has God done in my heart, I trust that. The kindness we are called to pursue is not based on sentiment or feeling, it is based on what God has revealed to be true. This is a trustworthy statement. What is a trustworthy statement, Paul? The entirety of what he just said. When the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. All of this is a trustworthy statement. You can take it to be true. You can preach it with confidence. All of this is a faithful and factual summary of who God is and what He has done. What has He done? He has made His enemies His heirs. Think about that. The rightful King of the universe makes rebels His sons. That's not Hollywood. That's Calvary. Therefore, concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These are things; these things are good and profitable for men. The trustworthiness of the kindness of God is the fact that we are to preach with the greatest confidence. Why? Because this is the good news of Jesus Christ. The kindness of God is the gospel. We preach the gospel with confidence so that you who believe in God would take the greatest care, the greatest diligence to practice this kindness in your everyday life. Do we see how the pursuit of kindness and every other pursuit is tied to knowing God? If we are to practice this kind of kindness, we must know First, this kind of kindness. Has God worked in your heart? Has He saved you? Has He changed you? Has He caused you to be born again? Has He written His law in your heart? Then, if He has, well, then He did it when you were dead in your sin. He acted with kindness towards you. He asks us now to be kind towards those around us. Like I said, this culture that we live in, a hostile culture to Christianity, a post-Christian world, as some people say, gives us great opportunity to show this kindness because we can tell people that we were just like them. But God in His grace has moved and shown kindness towards us and saved us, and now we offer that same message and kindness to them. When they don't deserve it, when they act with hostility and animosity towards us, we can show the kindness of God. I close with a word from Matthew 5.16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and loving Father, we just want to praise you and bless you and thank you for the kind way in which you have moved towards us. Father God, we just pray that you would give us eyes to see you and that you would give us eyes to see ourselves. That you would give us, Lord, a heart and mind and wisdom by your Holy Spirit to understand that we need mercy. We need your grace. And Lord, that it is truly available to anyone who seeks. Because you have said, ask and you will receive, and seek and you will find, and knock and it will be open to you. Lord, this is your word. We have just seen that you are a covenant keeping God, a God who honors his word, who is loyal to his word. And so we ask, Lord, that you would give us more of Christ, give us more of him. Let him increase and let us decrease and let this all redound for your glory so that you may be seen in the world through the kindness that we can show the world because that is the kindness that you have shown us. We ask this in Jesus' most holy and precious name. Amen.